You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's really big uh, in the sense of us being able to make it to a bowl, and it's really big in uh, us being able to to wrap up our season the right way. So us being able to uh, have this bye where it was, uh, we got lucky. I'm really happy that, you know, it it just fell right in the middle. So uh, this uh, back end of this um, season is going to be fun for us. We got good competition, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get on a streak. Yeah, well, we got a lot to play for. I mean, we got a lot to play for with the seniors. I mean, all 20 of us, you know, we got five games left that are scheduled and we're going to try our best to play the best that we possibly can not only for each other and our teammates but our coaches and everyone along with that and we just got to be able to find what motivates us the most to to play the best and we're going to do that just excited and ready to go i mean we all kind of want to i guess we would say prove ourselves because i mean we know what we can do and it's just kind of been a thing of showing what we can do in our consistency needs to just be better and that's kind of one of our things i feel like we want to do is just continue to grow and become a more consistent team and welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as we get you ready for Nebraska and Purdue. It's a 6.30 night game, a rare night game at ross Hate Stadium as the Huskers travel to West Lafayette uh, to take on a 3-4 and four Boilermakers team, a team that has lost three of their last four games. And um, I, I think on the onset, Robin, a week or two ago, this appeared to be a much more daunting game when you kind of saw what Purdue was doing they played Michigan very tight they played Louisville very tight uh, they played Wisconsin very tight where they had you know losses there but they were moral victories from where Purdue's program was but everything what they've done has kind of been set back with a terrible loss to Rutgers a week ago uh, they've only scored one offensive touchdown in their last eight quarters of football so this is all of a sudden you know a uh, a much more, I don't want to say winnable game, but a much more favorable game for Nebraska going into West Lafayette with where things are at right now. Yeah, Purdue kind of took uh, the conference by storm a little bit with Jeff Brom and you know his younger brother Brian Brom or Brett Brom, uh, whatever the Brom brothers, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the offensive coordinator there, uh, and what they kind of relied on was a lot of trickeration, a lot of junk plays, um, gadget plays, multiple formations, you know, a lot of window dressing. And that was really hard for teams to prepare for. You know, they almost beat Louisville right out of the gates. Uh, they throttled a, you know, a bad Missouri team. And, you know, we're looking like kind of one of the surprise teams in the league. Well, as the competition is kicked up, like it always does, as the, you know, the grind of the Big Ten Conference, you know, rolls along, you can't survive off that style of offense and so now you know they're not able to um, rely on deception and uh, you know mystery with their offense as much Uh, and their quarterback situation is in flux Uh, you know they have two quarterbacks and when you have two do you really have any Uh, and so I mean they're kind of in a a no man's land offensively right now where they're really struggling to find an identity I mean they just scored 12 points against Rutgers and you know they only scored 12 because they threw a touchdown pass with 30 seconds left in the game so um, you know there's there's a lot of issues you know, obviously Nebraska has their share of concerns right now, but Purdue, uh, they're in a tailspin of their own right now. And this is a huge game for them uh, to get their kind of momentum back on track and keep this surprise season going. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think th- with me, it is the identity part uh, about Purdue that's that is kind of confusing because there has been such a, a difference from from what we saw at the beginning of the season until now. Um, and they just they're 
they're able to to move the football on offense, but just have not been able to to really capitalize by putting a bunch of points up on the board. And um, you know, and that was never more evident than with their game against Rutgers uh, last week. I think they put up over 500 yards of offense, uh, but yet still lost to <laughs> arguably the worst team in the in the conference. So um, Rutgers only had about 200 yards. Yeah, they had in 200 that game. yards. Yeah, and Purdue had like 400 something and only scored 12 points. Yeah, so it, they're they're in kind of a weird spot right now. As is Nebraska, but uh, so I mean, I think if you're if you're Nebraska, you're you're probably catching Purdue at a at a pretty good time. Well, I, I just look at this matchup too, guys. As we discuss um, some opening storylines here, I just think Bob Diaco his his defense has really feasted on bad offenses, and I think this Purdue offense is a good matchup for this Nebraska defense in a lot of respects. They don't have a lot of. Uh, skill players on the edge. Teams have been able to lock them up with straight man-to-man defense. Uh, I, that will be interesting to see because we've become accustomed to seeing uh, Nebraska kind of drop into the shell where they allow you know 10 to 15 yard completions at times to happen uh, pretty easily. Uh, but Purdue is a team that does you know they've got four seven type speed guys on the edge. I mean these aren't guys that are going to burn you deep. So will we see a different approach from Diaco uh, with some of his guys on defense? I mean there's just a lot of things about the matchup that I think favor Nebraska uh, going into Saturday. Well, Purdue can't run the ball either. I mean they had like 200 and some yards against Rutgers, and that I think totaled a quarter of their season rushing total. So they don't run the ball consistently, consistently whatsoever. And so it's going to be whichever one of those quarters. Quarterbacks. Um, I mean, that's going to be the key. And like you said, Sean, they don't have any dynamic players on the perimeter. So yes, on paper, this is a favorable matchup for Nebraska's defense. And we've seen when they play bad offenses, they can look really good on defense. And so, you know, obviously this is going to be a massive step down from what they saw the, the previous two games against Wisconsin, Ohio State. But what it's going to come down to is where this Nebraska team is mentally. I mean, how defeated are they right now after those two losses? I mean, because um, those were embarrassing defeats on the national stage in primetime at home uh, where your home fan base was clearing out by the third quarter. I mean, that, that's uncharted waters. Yes. I mean, so where this team is just with their overall psyche and how they were able to respond over this bye week will ultimately dictate what these next five weeks will hold. Well, and, and how disciplined are they? Because this is a, a Purdue team. They have to get this win to, to get to a bowl game. Uh, we saw them pull out some junk plays against Rutgers. So you know that they're going to pull out all the stops against Nebraska to get this win at home, too. So um, Nebraska is going to have to be very disciplined and, and uh, not, not fall for any trickeration that Brom may have up his sleeve. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. The bye week, two guys, uh, I think, has come at a good time. Um, Nebraska, I think more not just physically. They're going to get a lot of guys back, uh, particularly their three top safeties. And that, that to me, was a very underrated storyline uh, when you look at the Ohio State game. When you're missing Joshua Kalu, uh, Aaron Williams, and then Antonio Reed, and you're forced to play basically two guys that have never been in that type of role against an Urban Meyer offense that was as big of a part of some of the defensive struggles as far as communication and getting the defense set as anything in that game. And and they'll have those guys back, and they'll be healthier. And I, I think that will make a difference, Robin. 
Yeah, I mean, this will be the first time, uh, maybe since the start of the season, or even before the start of the season, that the secondary they thought they were going to have going into fall camp is actually going to be on the field because, you know, this is the first time Chris Jones is going to be healthy alongside uh, Joshua Kalu, Antonio Reed, uh, Aaron Williams. And so this is me, hypothetically, the first time all those guys have been on the field together for a game. So um, I think that's certainly going to naturally make this a better secondary. But uh, again, you know, I mean, all those guys have been on the field on their own uh, over the course of this year and none of them have looked all that great so uh, this is going to be a, a point where this unit needs to click and it needs to click now because they have officially run out of time for you know to, to, to basically save whatever's left of this but Kalu is the best safety in the country that's true <laughs> that's true we, we, we heard it here first well that's I think that's where you hope that the bye week was able to to give those guys not only an opportunity to get healthy but to, to get some get that chemistry back because we, I mean we all thought that that secondary was probably going to be the strength of this defense did we not uh, I did heading into the season yeah, I did too so um, you know this might be an opportunity for us to finally see at least a glimpse of that this weekend against the uh, uh, Purdue passing attack that, uh, like Sean said, d- does not uh, have a, a ton of dynamic playmakers. All right, well, we've got a full show on tap here. We're going to get you prepared uh, offensively and defensively for this week's matchup with the Boilermakers. Uh, Matt Reynoldson will be in studio as we'll take your questions on a number of different topics in the mailbag. And then we'll discuss recruiting, a very interesting storyline about quarterbacks. It appears Nebraska may be taking a quarterback or at least attempting to get a quarterback now in the recruiting class. What's Nate Klaus? Why? That's all next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Trey Bryant will have uh, surgery tomorrow. You know, we're just looking at uh, many things with Trey. He, he has just been a warrior at trying to get back. But as we look at it for his long-term future with us, the best thing for him is going to be to go ahead and get it done now. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and A. Klaus, a segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill with five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. Husker night game Saturday night. Uh, get into Tanner's uh, with a 6.30 kick, a great place all around Omaha and Lincoln to get in there, watch the game, get some wings, watch NFL football on Sundays. Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Well, guys, um, you just heard Mike Riley kind of close the book on the season for running back Trey Bryant as we bring Robin Washington and Nate Klaus back into the conversation. And, um, you know, I, I think really that's what it does, Robin. It, it, it kind of provides some closure. It lets you know, you know, you don't have to have this week to week. Is he going to play? Is he going to get back? Question. And you can say, all right, we're going to ride with Divino Zigbo. We're going to ride with Mikhail Wilbon, maybe Jalen Bradley. Yeah, this was certainly not a surprise uh, by any stretch. I mean, just with the way um, basically Trey was unable to do anything. Um, And then leading up into Ohio State when he finally was, you know, kind of had the final test there uh, where he put pads on and wasn't even able to make it through a practice. That kind of said everything he needed to know. So I think this is obviously the right decision um, for him to redshirt, give him some time to actually let that knee heal. 
uh, and then be ready to go um, for spring ball. So the, the issue is I don't, they have never said what the injury actually is. All Mike, and Mike Riley gets weird about it. The HIPAA, yeah, HIPAA yeah. stuff. So like he won't even give you any details on it. The only thing that he says is this procedure will be corrective. So um, I guess that's encouraging that, you know, it's a correctable uh, situation, but um, ser- something that he Trey has been dealing with for several years now. So you got to wonder, you know, kind of what, what the future holds for him. But as far as Nebraska's backfield, yes, uh, there's some clarity there. Um, you know, Reggie Davis uh, hinted that they're going to lean on Divine Zigbo as, as their starter. And I think that's, you know, music to a lot of Nebraska fans' ears and probably something that should have happened a while ago. Um, he's made one start all season, uh, despite leading the team in carries and in rushing. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, you know, long time coming with that. I think that's the right move. Um, Nebraska needs to rely on a power-centered offense, and he's the guy that gives it to you. Let Wilbon spell him as a complimentary role, maybe even get Bradley in there a little bit. But this needs to be Divina Zigbo's running game because he has proven himself to be the most consistent and most productive running back that they have available. Yeah, I don't know why it took so long, you know, why there were so many questions surrounding Divino Zigbo after Trey did go out, um, you know, and, and to start Mikel during the Ohio State game is still kind of... After a, three straight 100-yard exactly. games for the first time since 2014. So, that, you know, that's still kind of a mystery there. But, but boy, I feel I feel for Trey Bryant because he got off to a great start this season and then uh, this, this mystery injury that he's had. And I'm still, you know, I, I understand HIPAA and everything, but... For the most part, coaches will come out and say, "Well, ligament yeah, damage, tore a ligament, or or needed to have cartilage repaired, or whatever the case may be." And this is the expected recovery. We we still don't even know what what is the expected recovery. You know, is this something that he's going to be back for spring ball, or is this something that he might be able to be back for fall camp next year? So there's still a lot of questions surrounding this. Um, but I do know that knowing Trey. Uh, a little bit and getting to know him through the recruiting process and everything. He is uh, one heck of a hard worker and, and he's a real determined uh, guy. So I'm sure if anyone can come back from whatever it is, it, it'll be Trey. But uh, yeah, I think that it's it's going to be uh, imperative for Nebraska to really lean on Divine here over these next five games. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, this segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, five locations in Omaha and two in Lincoln. It is your place to watch Saturday's Nebraska-Purdue game. And let's move over, guys to the offensive line. Um, it, it's been kind of another interesting thing to follow this week. Over the bye week, we hinted on this last week on the show, um, they they put Matt Farniak um, in at guard, and I think the intention was to have him potentially be the starter over Tanner Farmer. Uh, but as the week has moved on, it does not look like that's going to be the case. It looks like Tanner Farmer could end up being the guy. I mean, what are they doing there? It, it just seems like there's some head games going on or how they're moving guys around and some of the things they're trying to work with. I feel like they don't even know what they're doing at this point with some of these different bodies. I mean, I guess it makes sense that Matt Farniak made the move. I mean, that was something Mike Riley hinted at a long time ago that um, ultimately they see him more as an inside guy and really it was just the depth or lack thereof at tackle um, that put him out there to begin with to start this season. So, I mean, that, I guess, makes sense. But nothing else about it um, as far as that situation goes does. Um, the, the fact that you're waiting till this far along in the year uh, to move a guy and then you're going to talk about him splitting first team reps with a guy who started for you all season and then all of a sudden not make that move. Um, and then, not even to mention, what happened to Bo Wilson? I mean, he was a guy that was supposedly pushing for that job at right guard. So now all of a sudden you're going to put a guy that's been playing tackle all year 
in to be the next number two down at right guard uh, and then mess with, you know, a guy that supposedly is really good in Bo Wilson. Uh, it's, it's another one, another instance of just weird roster management, personnel management, um, coaching tactics that this staff has made since they've been here that uh, just leave you scratching your head. David Neville's been practicing this week, too. Um, so, you know, it's just in Cole Conrad's healthy. So they've got available guys now with starting experience. I mean, they basically have eight guys that, that have started games now. So it is interesting, but we know this, Nate. Kavanaugh's not ever been a rotating guy, and and I mean, it's you don't ask that question anymore because you know that that's not really something he's done. No, he he doesn't he doesn't rotate during during the games. Um, you know, as far as Matt Farnahan goes, I mean, we saw this during fall camp with him taking reps at tackle and him taking some reps at guard. Uh, so that's not a huge surprise, and and I mean my only theory is is that during the the bye week they decided to give it give it a, a little bit of a try, see if they could uh, you know maybe catch catch lightning in a bottle, kind of like when they did with Zach Stirrup when they moved him into guard uh, a couple years ago, and that that experiment kind of worked out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it is kind of a head scratcher. Uh, I guess the the silver lining, like you said, Sean, is that that now they have some healthy bodies and uh, have a little bit more depth than they did uh, a handful of weeks ago. You know, the other positive guys as we look at the bye week and what it did for the offense, both J.D. Spielman and Stanley Morgan have gotten healthy. Spielman injured his shoulder late in that Ohio State game. If they were to play the following week, he probably would not have been available. Stanley Morgan, I believe, is a hip pointer injury. Um, and, and we've seen what this offense looks like, especially without Stanley Morgan in there at that X receiver. We saw it against Rutgers. It was not a pretty passing attack. So um, to have both those guys healthy, I think, will make a difference, Robin. Yeah, and I think J.D. didn't practice at all during the bye week and was actually you know, finally able to get back to work um, this week with the start of you know game week. So that's encouraging. Um, and again, you know that bye week certainly came at a perfect time for a lot of people, J.D. Uh, especially. And then, um, but here's the deal, you know, if if whoever plays, those receivers have to do a better job of helping Tanner Lee. Uh, they're not getting off the line of scrimmage against press coverage. Um, you know, JD, the reason he's been targeted so many times is because he's the only one not getting jammed up at the line, you know, because DeMornay and Stanley are having real difficulty getting off their routes when teams want to, you know, be aggressive with them. And that's been an issue. Uh, and so, you know, not only that, when they do get the ball thrown to them, they're dropping a lot of passes. I think I saw a stat where 10% of Tanner Lee's incompletions this year have been drop passes. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's that's more than any other quarterback in the Big Ten, and probably pushing you know among the leaders nationally. So um, he needs more help. People have been you know talking about Tanner Lee not be living up to the hype. Whatever. When you don't have a line that's blocking for you, you don't have tight ends that are and running backs that are helping you in pass protection, and your receivers aren't getting off routes and catching passes, it's hard to look good as a quarterback. You know, I kind of wonder just how banged up Stanley Morgan Jr. really was because. Early on in the season, I felt like he was getting some separation, and and obviously he was Tanner Lee's t- main target. And then all of, all of a sudden, uh, he seemed to kind of disappear. He wasn't wasn't getting any separation whatsoever, and uh, and any ball that did go to him was was a f- kind of a fifty fifty ball. Highly contested, yeah, at best. So um, so maybe just maybe we'll see a different Stanley Morgan this week uh, now that he's uh, healthy or is about as healthy as you can be at this point in the season. All right, well, when we come back, we're going to shift our focus over to defense as Bob Diaco had some interesting words um, this week as the Huskers get ready for Purdue. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
we are going to create the best defense in the country here. There's no doubt about that. It's just going to take time. As these gaps are eliminated, minimized, and eliminated for every player, and, it's, and the players are, are good enough to do that, to do just that, the ones on the team and, and the ones we're trying to have join the team. It's exciting. The future's exciting. I can personally see all the people and the gaps, and the staff included. Gaps there. It's not just the players. The staff is new to the system. Staff, there's some staffers that are new to the work and all the other gaps that could exist per person, per situation. We know them, we're closing them, we're eliminating them, and, and with each one that closes and minimizes and gets smaller, we'll get better. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. We decided to pull some Bob Diaco Notre Dame clips there. No, that was <laughs> that was actually from uh, practice this week. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus is... You know, and, and and Bob Diaco, to his credit, he he still very much believes in his guys, what they're doing, um, and and he's not back down. He's not making excuses, as you just heard him there. He said that they have the talent on this team, on this defense, to execute and win now, and and he is not making excuses, saying things like, "Hey, we'll be better once we get my players here." He's not said that once, and. Um, it was an interesting set of comments, Robin. He talked for a long time on Tuesday, and I thought that was probably the most interesting thing he had to say um, when, when you kind of break it all down. Well, that bite was from a four-minute answer that he gave. That was basically just a, um, a real general question about his impressions after you know being a couple weeks removed from the Ohio State game. and um, So clearly, uh, he had some stuff on his mind going into that and uh, made sure to let it be known. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's what you want your coach to say, I guess, that, you know, you're not going to sit there and feel sorry about yourself, that, you know, you still have very high standards and high expectations and a true belief that, you know, your your unit will be good. But the numbers suggest uh, a complete 180 uh, of what he's saying. I mean, when you give up um, 11 straight touchdown drives, when you give up, you know, over 600 yards rushing over the past two games, um, when you let a team go eight straight touchdown drives, rack up over 630 yards of offense, uh, and not get, even get a defensive stop until the final minutes of the fourth quarter against a third-string quarterback, you don't have much of a, a step to stand on uh, when, when you're making comments like that. And um, they kind of seem, you know, uh, baseless. You know, where you're, you have zero evidence to support why you're making such kind of uh, hyperbole uh, claims like that. So, you know, I know a lot of fans kind of took it that way. It's like, why, why would we believe you? You've given us nothing to, to, to basically justify that. But again, uh, from a coaching perspective, that's what you want and that's how you motivate your players. And so, I don't know, I, I guess um, hopefully, you know, for Nebraska's sake and Bob Diaco's sake, he can start to back that up over these next five games. Well, here's the deal with Bob Diaco is I feel like most of the time, He's not necessarily speaking to the media. He's speaking to his players through the media. I, I feel like that quote right there was more for his players to hear than it was for, for the media to write about. I, I think that was him being a, a positive, you know, providing positive reinforcement to his players, letting them know or validating that, you know what, um, there, there have been some struggles, but we are making progress. What, what we're doing, uh, the process you're going through is, 
is um, you know is is justified that that we're identifying the the gaps and and we're working to close them so on and so forth you know instead of saying boy you know what we just got our rear ends handed to us and it's going to be a while until we get our own guys in here uh, that can actually run what we want to run and so on and so forth you know I, that I just feel, doesn't ever go well when you say that no it never does so I feel like I feel like with Bob Diaco you kind of have to take what he says with a grain of salt because I, I feel like a lot of times he's talking to his players through the media just like what he did with the the Josh Kalu thing I I feel like that was just as much to kind of give Joshua Kalu confidence that they believed in him that he could be that type of player than it was kind of making a statement to the media or the national media that that they have an all-american at Nebraska oh, go ahead I just wanted to chime in that the one problem with that though is when you say things like that you are raising fan expectation up far more than it actually needs to be and putting a lot of outside pressure on your guys so um, I get you know from a motivational standpoint why he does that but it also is kind of um, counterproductive when you set up a guy who's never played safety at the collegiate level to be the best ever in, or best in the country Sean Callahan Robin Washington Nate Klaus as we talked defensive storylines and I think another thing though when you look at Diaco I'm guessing when he took this job um, back in December he was or January it was excuse me um, I'm guessing he didn't, he didn't think he was only going to get one year um, and, and the, the reality of the pressure that's all of a sudden on things, it's changed a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Diaco's like, I'm going to have a solid two to three years to really build this thing. And all of a sudden now he's got this gun to his head that he's got to have immediate overnight results with this defense. And he doesn't necessarily have all the pieces to make it work yet. So um, it's interesting just to see him kind of react now to the pressure that's been put on him here after the last two weeks. Well, he's commented a couple times now that we're just getting started. I just got here, you know, <clears throat> basically alluding to the fact that um, he has not had any time to build what he wants to build. And so clearly um, that's something that he's aware of and he's trying to, um, you know, maybe give a little bit of a, a, a longer leash for himself that, you know, yes, things don't look good now, but uh, that's because, you know, I, I just haven't had the time I need uh, to build this thing to where I want it to get. So um, clearly that's something that, that he's, you know, thinking about and, you know, is addressing in his own way uh, publicly. Uh, and it is kind of an unfortunate situation because I don't think anyone expected him to be able to just walk in here and, and completely turn this thing into the, the 85 Bears overnight. 85 Bears. So, so yeah, I, 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 in that regard, I think that, uh, you know, that he does bring up some valid points where, where he does say he's just getting started or this is going to take some time. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. I think the biggest thing, guys, is just winning those early downs. If Nebraska's defense is on schedule, we've seen what it can look like, especially against lower-level offenses like Illinois, Rutgers, and Northern Illinois. And this is a game this week where they should be in a lot more of these types of situations. Uh, Purdue, I would put their offense on par with a Rutgers or, or an Illinois, maybe a step better. Um, but Nebraska should be in a situation. I think David Blau will be the guy they end up playing. Just talking, I was on a Purdue show um, this morning, and the, 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 I, I, get that, I get the idea that he's going to be the starting quarterback. His mobility is probably what could cause some problems for Nebraska here, and he's given Nebraska problems the last couple of years. Yeah, and we've seen what a mobile quarterback can do to this defense. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that Purdue's inability to run the football – will be a huge advantage for Nebraska because um, if they can force Purdue to get one-dimensional, um, that automatically improves uh, your pass defense. And if you can get Purdue to work out of third and long situations, 
you know, that that's going to only favor um, everything you do on defense. So, I mean, that, that's got to be the key is for Nebraska to completely shut down that running game, um, which shouldn't be that difficult of a feat, uh, and then play off of kind of putting the pressure on, you know, David Blau or uh, whatever quarterback ends up playing uh, to go out there and win the game with his arm. Yeah, make him become one-dimensional uh, for sure because – uh, and I and I do think that Nebraska will be able to to kind of shut down that that uh, rushing attack because it's it's not very good, it's, especially is not going to even come close to what they've seen over the past few weeks with Wisconsin and and Ohio State. So, uh, and I almost wonder if if you know that will kind of play into things too. That the you know this defense has gone against uh, two really really good offenses here. Uh, very physical players. I mean, elite players, especially Ohio State's uh, offense. You know, it, when they go out there and, and play against Purdue, you know, maybe they'll look easier. Yeah, maybe it'll feel and look a lot easier. So, um, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. But I, I think this defense could have a pretty good game uh, this weekend. All right. When we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag as Husker Line intern Matt Reynoldson will join us in studio. As lots to talk about here as we get you ready for. Nebraska's game against Purdue. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In our injury situation, part of it was a good week for sure. You know, I think that uh, the three safeties that were either missed all of or most of the last game, Antonio Reed and Aaron Williams and uh, Josh Kalu, I think they'll be healthy to, to practice and go this week. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Mike Riley talking about the situation at safety, getting his top three safeties back as the Huskers come off this bye week with five games remaining. Lots of pressure with Bill Moose um, now in fold. will be at his first game since being hired. And uh, with that, Robin Washich, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, we bring in Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson as we have a full bag of questions this week, Matt, in the mailbag. And a lot of questions about that pressure mounting on Mike Riley. So Riley said in his press conference on Monday that he doesn't see the games going forward as an audition for the new athletic director. Do you think he missed an opportunity to really show an understanding of the situation? I don't know. I I, I think in his mind, in most coaches' minds, they're, they think three three years is not enough time, but you know, and, and you know, when he took this job, I'm guessing Mike Riley thought he'd have more than three years, especially coming off a nine-win season a year ago, um, where you know they were pretty dang close to having a decent season. But obviously, we know the situation now, what's going on. But I don't think Mike Riley can publicly come out and, and talk about that yet. It's a little early because, um, especially if they go out and beat Purdue and then beat Northwestern and Lincoln. Then all of a sudden, it, it, will, it will get pretty interesting around here when you kind of start to talk about the future of Mike Riley. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else he's supposed to say because if you start commenting on your job status, that kind of uh, has a potential to create some panic within your locker room about, well, if the coach is talking about it, then this thing must be for real. Because um, when you, I mean, otherwise you can just credit to outside noise. You know, we're not going to worry about that. Just stay focused on the task at hand. And that's kind of always been uh, the staff's approach about everything. You just come to every day, do your job, and focus on what you can control. And so that was kind of his message when he was asked that question. And I have a feeling that's going to continue to be his message message on through the rest of the year yeah he didn't miss any opportunity here I mean look Mike Riley's been around the block before he knows what's at stake 
he knows what type of situation there is when a new athletic director comes in that didn't hire him. So um, I don't think that he needed to comment on it to to you know get put a message out to the media or to the fan base or to, to certainly to Bill Moose because I think they're all have a pretty good understanding of exactly what needs to happen. Sticking with the hypothetical theme here, it is the pulse of the Red Sea Scrolls this week. Questions surrounding Mike Riley's job status. So if Riley is done at the end of the year, what's the discussion in keeping assistance? Well, it's always dicey because you really don't know who the coach is going to be that comes in here. But, you know, typically, I mean, when, when Mike Riley was hired, there wasn't one assistant retained. Well, um, Charlton Warren was, was. But then he left. So, yeah, I guess you're, you had one there, but he left before he even could go through spring practice. Um, he left in February after signing day. But it's, you know, it's hit and miss. You know, when Bo Pelini was here, uh, Ted Gilmore and Sean Watson were retained. Um, so typically, if there is a change made, you see schools keep one or two guys, maybe some behind the scenes folks um, as well in recruiting or operational roles. Um, but a lot of it just depends on who that guy is that comes in and kind of what his game plan is. Yeah, it depends on what kind of coach it is. I mean, if it's defensive minded coach, generally he's going to want his defensive staff around him and not you know have people that he has no relationship with. Uh, working for him at his you know first season on the job, and so uh, I think that that will probably play a factor. And then, what pre-existing relationships does this new but you know hypothetical coach have with current members of this staff? I mean, if they, if there's a you know a West Coast guy that has ties with you know say a Dante Williams or a Keith Williams or something like that, maybe that will lend itself to you know having a little bit more familiarity there. Um, that will increase the chances of keeping him. But I mean, it's it's so hard to speculate right now, just because for one, we don't even know if Mike Riley's getting fired yet. Two, we don't even know you know who the potential candidates are and what their relationships will be and what their preferences are be with their staff yeah there's so many variables in play that it's pretty much impossible to to kind of speculate about that I, I would say you know from from the outside looking in if there were a change made there's three coaches that weren't necessarily tied with Riley initially and that's John Perella uh, Keith Williams and Dante Williams you know those are the three coaches that you could say aren't necessarily Riley guys or Diaco guys or Diaco guys, as in Scott Booker's case. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I, I would point to those three as having probably the best chance if there were a change. But again, I mean, there there hasn't been. You know, Mike Riley's still the coach in Lincoln, so it's kind of premature to to jump into that type of speculation. All right, we're, we're taking your questions here in the mailbag. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, and Husqvarna intern Matt Reynoldson. Let's get to a little football on the field. What's your take on the move of Matt Farniak to guard right in the middle of the season? Uh, I, I just think it's trying to get this running game more consistent, and they're they're looking at different things right now because I think for this offense to really succeed, they need to have that element of consistency in the running game, and uh, I think they're just trying different things, and, and we may not even see Matt Farniak start this week, so it's really kind of interesting how they've handled this whole thing. Yeah, we, we touched on a little bit in the offensive section, but I think this was a move that was going to be made at some point regardless, and so the timing it kind of is what it is. Uh, Matt Farniak, uh, as far as his staff's vision of what his future would be, is inside at guard, so I think that's where he'll, he'll stay um, from here on out, uh, and then I think they feel better about 
their tackle depth that led part of it. You know, the emergence of a Brendan Hymas, um, the return of a David Neville off injury. I mean, all of a sudden you have a little bit more depth to work with there. Um, and also, I think they've had success with a move like this in the past. Just go back a couple of years to Zach Stirrup, who kind of struggled a little bit at tackle. They moved him inside to guard. All of a sudden, Nebraska's offense takes on a power identity and finishes the season, you know, four and one with a bull win. So, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors in play, but I think ultimately this was a move they wanted to make all along and finally just felt the time was right to do it. Yeah, to me, it was a bye week, you know, uh, experiment. You know, it was a good time to, to try something new. If it worked, great. If not, you know, no harm, no foul. So to me, that's all it was. Switching gears to a recruiting question here. How is the pursuit of a scholarship quarterback going to, going to affect walk-on Bart Harris out of Missouri? Um, the, the big allure of him to commit to that preferred walk-on offer early was coaches did tell him that he was going to be the quarterback if they took a scholarship QB in this class. Uh, well, they said there's a good chance that he could end up earning a scholarship if they did take take a quarterback in this class. I don't think they made any type of promises or, or guarantees that he would be the the scholarship guy if they did take uh, a quarterback in this class. So um, I don't know how much that's going to impact Bart Harris. I know part of the allure to him was the fact that um, they weren't going to take a scholarship quarterback so that he would essentially be the only guy coming into the program this year. And if he wasn't on scholarship initially, he would have a very good shot at earning one in a year or two down the road, uh, you know, given the, the total numbers in that quarterback room. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if they do end up taking a, a quarterback on scholarship and it's not Bart Harris. But at this point in time, that, that kind of remains to be seen if that's going to happen. All right, Matt, we got time for one more. What do you have for us? Well, this is our Halloween show. So I got to ask, what are you dressing up for for Halloween? <laughs> a Dodgers fan at a bar in West Lafayette. That's, that, that, that might be where, I, you know, unfortunately, I had Big Red wrap up on Halloween um, this year. So. I am going to miss um, the whole extravaganza. Um, we will be potentially hitting Boo at the Zoo, a very big go. Lincoln tradition uh, that fundraises money for the Lincoln Children's Zoo. But I don't have a costume. My wife, I was summoned to go to Target to buy her a costume, and I bought her a witch costume, um, a nice witch. Um, <laughs> so uh, nothing for me, though, right now on the docket. Yeah, so I'm in the same predicament because we'll be on the road for the holiday weekend. But um, I do know that my 13-month-old daughter is coincidentally going as Robin. We got her little Robin costume, so <laughs> fun jokes there. And our dog is dressed up as Batman. Uh, and so I have a feeling what's going to happen is when I was young, I dressed up as Batman like as a kindergartner. And my dad like came home from work and had to throw together a costume. So basically he just like cut out some construction paper with a question mark, taped it to his shirt, and put a trash bag over it like as a case and went as like the Riddler and it was like the most like corny like just junk costume ever so I have a feeling that is something that I'm going to look like and carry on the wash it father tradition uh yeah I've, I'm gonna I've got a three-year-old that's going to be superwoman and a six-month-old that's a, a pumpkin uh so I will probably be like that dad either throw something together or or be wearing like a bunch of reflective like uh, safety clothing so that no one gets run over uh, while we're out trick or treating. <laughs> cautious trick or treat dad. Yes, cautious, cautious trick or treat dad. Overly, overly safety cautious trick or treat dad. I still love that. My favorite Halloween costume was in Karate Kid when he dressed up as the shower. Yes, and and like <laughs> walked around with the shower at the dance, and then totally punked out the Cobra Kai guys. Um, and got Johnny all soaked and got eventually got beat up by those guys. But that's still one of my favorite 
random movie costume Halloween <laughs> scenes. Intern, what are you going to be dressed as? A banana. We a banana. Uh, we already started the Halloween man. festivities. At least give yourself party. a chance. Had the first party this last weekend. <laughs> a banana. <laughs> All right. Well, it should be fun, Matt. We'll see you in West Lafayette this weekend. And uh, we'll come back here and close the show with some recruiting talk with Nate Klaus. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, you know, we have reevaluated the whole idea of, of whether or not to whether or not to wait and just get a guy in, in 19. I, I like the room the way it is. I like to I want to keep a small room in the quarterback room. But uh, when you when you look at the at the big picture in the future, you know, it made us think may, maybe this is maybe this would be smart to continue to look if we can find the right 18 guy. Obviously, through the year, we watch a lot of video, even while we're preparing for games. We have, we've kept an eye on a few, and one. And for me, I wanted to get. That's kind of been one of the things I've always done on a bye week is go see a quarterback or two if I can. So we had two likely suspects to take a look at. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, final segment of the show, and that was head coach Mike Riley discussing why he was out looking at quarterbacks that were committed to other schools here for 2018. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. So, Nate, why was Mike Riley out looking at quarterbacks that are committed to other schools? Well, they're they're entertaining bringing the guy in. Um, I think that uh, at the beginning of the season, maybe at the beginning of this recruiting cycle, there was there was uh, you know maybe. Maybe expectation is not the right word, but there's a thought that Tanner Lee may end up being a one-and-done guy. Well, that looks like that's definitely not going to be the case this year. So you've got three quarterbacks on scholarship that are all going to be returning, and and two of those guys are are fairly young guys. So there's a chance that you know that you could have one of them take a look at some other options somewhere else. I don't know. Uh, so that that might be kind of playing into this. You know, hey, maybe we. We better look at bringing in a quarterback. Uh, plus, you know, when you look at the scholarship breakdown, traditionally most schools like to carry four quarterbacks on scholarship, and uh, Nebraska was going to kind of forego that and keep three on scholarship this year and really kind of pour all their attention into a 2019 guy. So but I think maybe the most important thing from that soundbite was that they'll look at taking a 2018 guy if he's the right guy. They're, they're not going to just take a quarterback in this class just for the sake of taking one. I think that um, if they can get somebody that they like, and maybe if they can get somebody that they like that's a little bit different than what they currently have, you know, maybe a, a dual threat guy like a Jace Reuter that they went and saw uh, on Friday, last Friday night, you know, maybe maybe that's a good enough reason to bring in a quarterback in this class. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss why Mike Riley was looking at quarterbacks. And yeah, you briefly talked to Jace Reuter. Now, Reuter's been a guy, Nate, that's been on your radar for quite some time because he he is a rare 500-mile radius quarterback prospect that, I mean, he's so close to Nebraska. I think he gets the Nebraska news in, the, in his hometown where he lives. Um, so this is almost kind of like an in-state kid in a lot of respects. Yeah, he's from uh, Norton, Kansas, um, and uh, has been has been a guy that's visited Nebraska several times. He camped at Nebraska, not this summer, but the summer prior. Um, so he's been on the radar for quite a while, and he is a dual threat guy. He's he's a, a true dual threat player. He's I think he's thrown for 800 yards this season, and and has rushed for 800 yards this season. So, um, and uh, I think think that 
when he was a junior, um, Nebraska kind of had an opportunity to to kind of make some make some headway there with him, and they they held off from offering. Then they didn't offer in last spring, and that's when he really blew up. He he committed early on to, to Tulsa, kind of backed off that pledge, and then all of a sudden um, during the late spring and, and early summer through some camps, earned a lot of really big time offers. North Carolina, Georgia, Florida State, all offered him. Uh, he ended up committing to North Carolina. And uh, when I talked with him, he said, you know, it was great having Coach Riley at my game, uh, but and, and they have offered me, but I'm not uh, looking to take any visits. I'm 100% solid to North Carolina. And that's probably the right thing to say. I mean, very, very rarely is a guy going to come out and be like, you know what, it's great that Coach Riley was here. I'm going to – yeah, I'm, I, I'm just going to dump North Carolina now. I mean, yeah, I scheduled my official visit last night. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, – I, I do believe him, though, because especially with North Carolina's uh, quarterback situation, uh, he – and Tyler Shaw out of out of uh, Arizona were both committed to North Carolina, uh, and Shaw has. Uh you know, now flipped his commitment to Oregon. So Jace Reuters, the only quarterback commit in that North but Carolina. But Larry Fedora could be let go. That is a, that is a, uh, kind of a scenario to keep an eye on. So, uh, But at the same time, would if that were to happen, would Jace Reuter go from one situation where the head coach is kind of on the hot seat or where there's question marks surrounding it to another one potentially in Lincoln? So, uh, And that's that kind of leads you into the next quarterback that, he, that Mike Riley went out and saw, which is Spencer Petrus out of Northern California, uh, who's currently committed to Oregon State. You know, he he doesn't have a head coach right now. Uh, he loves Nebraska. Uh, he now has an offer from Nebraska, and I think if that offer had come last spring, he would probably be committed to the Huskers. Uh, but it's it's kind of the same situation. You know, uh, he he wants to see who's going to be the next quarter or the next head coach at Oregon State. Plus, would he jump ship from Oregon State to a program where there's you know some question marks around? the head coach and, and the stability of the of that coaching staff right now too and Mike Riley did go out and make some in-state rounds um, over the week and and you know the big news that kind of came out of that he visited four schools Bellevue West Omaha North Elkhorn South and Burke uh, Bob Diaco then later went to the Bellevue West Burke game well on Wednesday night Xavier Betts, a 2020 wide receiver at Bellevue West, who's now 6'3", 188 pounds, according to Bellevue West head coach Mike Huppman, uh, received a scholarship offer from the Huskers. And very interesting um, to see Nebraska make a move on a guy like this because it wasn't like they've really had a great read on him, I think, from their camps or anything like that. But they've seen enough, obviously, on the field to come in with a quick early offer. Yeah, Xavier Betts uh, didn't go to Friday Night Lights, but he did go to the skills, the Nebraska skills camp in June, uh, and he had a really good performance. I don't know how well he tested out at, at that camp, which may may have hurt them. Or but may young have, kids don't test exactly, out well. Young kids don't test out well. So I think Nebraska was kind of taking a, a wait and see approach since he is only a sophomore. Uh, but after visiting with Coach Huffman at Bellevue West and, and probably being able to at least catch a glimpse of Xavier Betts in person, and then. And having uh, Diaco watch him in, in person, and then reviewing his sophomore film. I mean, this kid is about as as of a no brainer as it gets in the state of Nebraska. As a sophomore, he's got. Um, I think he's got he's pushing 50 receptions for over 800 yards and 15 touchdowns right now. Um, and he's he's a dynamic playmaker, especially in that offense. So, uh, and you have to tip your cap to to Mike Riley. I mean, he's been on the forefront of offering a lot of underclass 
freshman in the state of Nebraska. You look back at Cameron Jurgens, who picked up an offer after his freshman year. Uh, you know, Masri Maypew picked up a, an offer after his sophomore year. Now you've got Xavier Betts. They've got four out for 19 and 20, right? Exactly, four out for 19 and 20. And, and I don't really recall – a time where there was that many early offers out, um, you know, and, and maybe I'm maybe I'm having selective memory here, but it's been a while since we've seen um, a, a coaching staff at Nebraska this active in state, and, and it's kind of refreshing to see that. And Nate, as we wrap it up, they were out at some junior college games, particularly Iowa Western. Do you, do you make anything of that? I mean, we, we've had a lot of discussions about JUCO stuff, but uh, just got less than a minute here. But what are your thoughts on, on um, them going out to some junior colleges? Well, I, I think it was. I think it's a good sign that they were at Iowa Western. Both Mike Cavanaugh and Reggie Davis were there. Uh, Iowa Western has a couple big time offensive tackle prospects, really big kids, six seven, you know, two hundred and eighty to three hundred and twenty pound. Uh, offensive tackles, one of which is committed to TCU. Uh, and then they've got an emerging running back there that, that has an opportunity to be a three-for-three three kid uh, who uh, prior to last week was leading uh, all of the, the JUCO ranks in rushing. They have not made any offers yet, though. So while it's encouraging that they were in Council Bluffs at Iowa Western watching kids, they haven't offered yet. So uh, we'll see if that happens. But um, definitely always good, I think, to, to have Nebraska coaches paying more attention to the Reavers. Well, it'll be a quiet recruiting weekend, all things considered. Considered as Nebraska will be on the road, but they will have a 2:30 game against Northwestern the following week. So uh, we will keep you up to date here throughout the week on Husker Online. If there's anything that kind of develops as far as maybe visitors or, or a recruiting story lines to watch, but uh, that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.